listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. Good morning. Uh, For those of you who haven't figured it out yet, I am not Gabe. So uh, my name is Doug Enfield, and uh, I'm one of the attenders here at King's Community. Uh, Gabe and Monica and the DeGarmos are taking three weeks, uh, their summer respite, summer vacation, to renew and recharge during this time. And uh, for three weeks, we're going to have a a three-week sermon series with some uh, guests, and I'm the first one of those three. And so we're starting a new series. Uh, The series is called Follow Me. I thought we'd have a response there. I'm so used to, I've worked around the Army for 25 years, and every time in the Army we say, follow me, it's lead the way, is the call and response. And so I thought it was funny that I got to start out this uh, sermon series of follow me with, uh, with lead the way. Uh, as I said earlier, my name is Doug. I have worked for or around the Army for the better part of 25 years as a soldier, Uh, then a contractor for the Army, and now I'm actually a civilian. I'm a federal government employee, Uh, and so that's my normal job. So try not to be too harsh in your criticism because this is not what I do for a living, but I will try to do my best for you here this morning. What I do uh, in my normal job is I maintain big technical systems for the Army, big global worldwide systems of finances and logistics and that kind of stuff in the Army, and it's uh, Very interesting job. It's a diverse job. I get to work with lots of different people. One of my favorite places to go, because I get to travel around and uh, mostly do training and teach people um, around the Army. And uh, one of my favorite places to go is whenever they send me to Asia. Uh, I get to go to, like, Korea and Japan and the Marshall Islands and that kind of thing. And uh, it's always fun to hear them try to figure out my name, because the soft U and a soft G to most people who... Uh, speak uh, Japanese or Korean is a very difficult thing to say. So Doug is a very, I've heard Daug and Dog and Duck and just about everything that you can imagine. Interestingly enough, they have no problem with Douglas. Douglas rolls right off the tongue. But uh, so uh, that's usually uh, what I'm called. I go by Douglas, except for when I am in Japan teaching classes which is the coolest thing ever because in Japan, I'm sensei. Yes. So that's like got to be the coolest thing, the coolest name I've ever been called in my life is being called sensei. So if you come visit me and want to criticize me after the sermon, start with sensei. Um, uh, Working with with those uh, people in those, uh, especially in the Asian countries, but also uh, over in Europe, uh, most of the people that I teach are people who are employed by the federal government. They're employed by the by the army, but they live and are citizens of the country that they are in. So they're citizens of Japan or Korea. We call them local nationals, um, and so they come on post onto the military installation. And when they do, they have to speak English. A requirement of, of taking a job with the U.S. federal government overseas is that you have to speak English fluently. Um, So when they come on post, they speak only English, even to each other. When it's one Korean national talking to another Korean national, they're not speaking Korean to each other when they're in their job for the army. They speak English to each other, or at least they're supposed to. Also, for the most part, when they come on post, they take the job, they no longer go by their Korean or Japanese name. 
a lot of times they will take on a name that is an English name. It's so, and it's usually something that sounds very similar to their, uh, the name that they grew up with. So if they were Jin growing up, they might be James or Jim now in the Korean name. And so when they step onto that military installation and they step into their job, they're now speaking English and they're going by this new name. So there's this transformation that happens that uh, in order to, to, to go in and do their job to the best of their ability and serve the U.S. government and serve the soldiers and the civilians that are there on their military installation, they still live their, their, their normal lives with their families and uh, in their communities, in their local host nations. But when they step into their job, there's a transformation that happens with their language, with their names. And so that's, I just kind of use that as a as leading into as we talk about how people are called so follow me and how, how our lives are transformed. And, and the scripture that we're going to read about how someone was called uh, to go into this new life and leave kind of these things behind them and transform into this new way of speaking and, and, and even a new name. If you have your Bibles or your devices with the Bible, we are going to be in the book of uh, Mark this morning, uh, particularly Mark chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 13. So uh, this is the, one of the four Gospels that we're going to be reading from in Mark. This story that we're going to read uh, in Mark 13, if you see the title header there, it's called The Calling of Levi is the name of, of the section that we're going to be reading, 13 through 17. Now, The Calling of Levi actually exists in three different books of the Bible. So um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke which we call the Synoptic Gospels. Those are three books that are very, very similar. The, and so the stories that you read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to repeat themselves. They, they're a little bit different perspectives. Some of them may go into a little bit more detail, especially within the book of Luke. But those three tend to have the same stories. Then we get over to the book of John, which is kind of its own story. It's the same, it's the story of Jesus and his life, but it's told in a very different way. Uh, much more, uh, re- instead of reporting the news in the, in the Gospel of John, we get kind of the novelization of what's going on in Jesus' life. And so, but I'm going to read uh, The Calling of Levi from Mark because it's the most concise. It kind of gets to the point the quickest. So uh, we're going to start in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to heal the sinners, or but sinners. Um, so as we look at this piece of scripture, it's very con- concise. And if you, if you were to look at the calling of Levi in, in the book of Luke, uh, it's a lot more detail what goes on there. But I did not come uh, to, to heal the healthy, but to heal the sinners. And so... Um, we have many different parts to this story. And so just to give it a little bit of context, I want to explain a little bit about tax collecting at that time. So 
he, Levi was collecting taxes for the Romans. And so the Romans in the nation of Israel were an occupying nation. They had come in and taken over the entire nation of Israel. It was their structure of law. Uh, they were in charge. They were the enforcers. They were the ones um, who were deciding what's right and wrong. Later in Jesus's life, we'll see Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor, making the decision of whether he's guilty or not. So the, the Romans ruled over the nation of Israel at this point. And so they didn't uh, go in and and uh, kill everyone. They didn't go in and, and, and push everybody out of the nation of Israel, but instead they occupied them. And the main reason they did that as opposed to pushing them out is if you occupy them, now you can start charging them for taxes. And so as the Roman Empire grew, it got more expensive. And so they wanted to collect taxes from all over the world. And so the known world at that time within Europe and uh, surrounding the Mediterranean, Northern Africa, the Roman Empire was expanding uh, exponentially. And so they needed resources to do so. And so they were taxing the nation of Israel. And so they were really the enemy. They were an occupying force in the nation of Israel that they didn't want there. And they were having to give money and give resources to the Roman empire. And nobody wanted to, it wasn't their mission. It wasn't what they wanted to do. And here we've got Levi. Uh, Levi is part of the nation of Israel. He is a Jewish man and he is now employed by the enemy, by the Roman government, to collect taxes on their behalf. And so uh, if it were, say, $100 per family for taxes, and I don't know what the amounts were, but if it were $100 per family, it would have been Levi's job to go around and get $100 per family and pay that to the Roman uh, governor. But he wouldn't have just collected $100 because he wouldn't make any money if he just collected $100. That's what he owed to the Romans. So instead, he would go and collect $200 or $250 or $500, however much he could shake down from them. He thought he could get out of them, and then he would pay $100 to the Romans, and he would get to keep whatever was off the top. And he had the full force of the Roman guard behind him. So if you didn't pay him, then he could send the Roman guard after you to shake you down for that money. He'd send the enemy after you. He was somebody who was part of the nation of Israel working on behalf of the enemy. So he was not very well liked. Tax collectors were seen as the worst of the worst. They were worse than the Romans because they were stealing from their own people and working on behalf of the enemy, even though they were raised in the nation of Israel. So they were considered just, just the worst of the worst. And so uh, that's the first piece of context about, about who Levi is. The second thing, breaking down kind of the characters that we see in this story, uh, we obviously see Jesus, and we're, we're going to talk about him quite a bit here this morning. Um, we, have, uh, we have Levi, and we've told the story of, of the tax collectors. Um, and then the next group of people that we see are the Pharisees. So the Pharisees would have been those people that were going around teaching uh, the Bible, teaching God's word before Jesus showed up. So they were the ones, they had followers of their own. Uh, people would pay to kind of, that was their university. You would pay uh, a Pharisee and follow after him and get knowledge. And, and so the Pharisees were going around and they decided it was their job to determine what the Bible said and what it didn't say, what was right and what was wrong. And so they saw a lot of wrong in what Jesus was doing. The last group of people that we see, and they're all kind of lumped together within this, are just the followers, sinners, other tax collectors, and the people following Jesus. And they don't play a big part in this story other than the fact that we know that they are there and they're creating a crowd. 
They're just creating this crowd around, around the whole thing. And so uh, in all this craziness with all these people and all of these things uh, going on, we have this picture of Jesus sitting at the table within Levi's house. First, he calls Levi and he says, follow me. And what does Levi leave? He leaves everything. He gets up and leaves his tax collecting booth. This would have been his livelihood. Beyond his livelihood, even though we know it to be a bad thing, it was his identity. He left his identity, who he was, how he was going to sustain his life, how he was going to do what he did every day. You know, what do we get up and do every day? It's tied into to our identity and who they are. And so Jesus says, follow me. And Levi says, okay. And so the next, the next picture that we get is Jesus, Jesus is at the table of Levi. And in the, midst, in the midst of all of this, Jesus has followers coming after him. He's got Pharisees looking in on everything that he's doing. And he sits down and he's at a table with Levi. He's at a personal space. He's not addressing the crowds. He's not, on the, he's not at the Sermon on the Mount. He is in a personal space with Levi to reach him. He, he eventually within there does address the Pharisees, but the first place that we see him, we see where Jesus' heart is at. After he says, follow me, he enters into a personal space with him at the table. And so uh, I want to get to our first of our three sermon points. Uh, and this is, I think of Jesus at that table and everything going on around him, people following how, how, how difficult it would have been to enter into somebody's house when you've got all these people following after you and wanting your attention. Uh, and the first thing uh, that we see of Jesus is um, there's always a reason not to share the gospel. And that may sound counterintuitive. Is that what he wants to get across to us? No. That's kind of the uh, don't let excuses get in your way. So there were a million reasons that Jesus didn't need to sit down at that table. He could have said, I've got all these people. I need to address them. I need to get away from the Pharisees. I need to uh, deal with a million other things in my life. And there was all of this craziness going on. There was all of these things happening around Jesus. And instead, he took the time to sit and have a personal dinner, have that one-on-one time with Levi and those people that Levi invited into into his house. There's always a reason not to. I find this time, and we, we, are, we have three kids in school, and our, our, our calendars are absolutely full. We have three different Google calendars that we have to sync up between my wife and the kids and I, and I have my work calendar on separate of that. There's always a reason not to. And so, but I, I'm reminded of something uh, that I have said to my son, who's a uh, junior in high school, and he's not here this morning, so I can talk about him as much as I want and without any re- retribution, because he would hate it if he was sitting there and I was talking about him. Uh, but something I've said to him, he's been an athlete and played sports since the time he was five or six years old. And uh, in his athletics, being a part of a team, he always likes, uh, you know, after, we pl- after he plays his game or whatever it is, uh, practice, he'll come and we have a conversation and I just like to try to be encouraging to him and he'll ask me, what did I do wrong or what happened? But very, very often he'll come to me and he'll be like, yeah, I would have done a lot better if it weren't raining. It would have been, it would have been great if the refs hadn't made that call or if that guy hadn't dropped that pass or if, you know, and I say that I've said the same thing to him for 10 years 
and he rolls his eyes and walks away as soon as I say it, but I'm going to continue saying it. What never won a football game? Excuses. What never made you better at whatever you're doing? Excuses. Excuses have never accomplished anything. So when I say there's always a reason not to, excuses don't get us there. Excuses don't. So we need to find a way to eliminate those excuses, to eliminate those things in our lives that are getting in our way, um, to, 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 to take them out. Success cannot be built on what we're not able to do. So when we think about Jesus at the table and we think about that personal relationship, how are we prioritizing our time? What am I doing? How am I creating margins in my schedule, margins in my time to be able to set time, set time aside, not only to uh, eat with other people, but to invite Jesus into my own life. Uh, the second thing that we see within this scripture, um, loving differently always gets noticed. Loving differently always gets noticed. Um, we, we have this picture of, of the Pharisees following Jesus around and people following Jesus around. Why are they following him? Because Jesus was healing, because his words were not harsh, because he was doing something differently than everybody else was doing. And even today, 2019, it still gets noticed. It still gets noticed. One of the best examples of this that, that I've heard said to me, imagine giving up your dining room table or your couches this afternoon in your house. There's a family that moves in, down, and I'm just going to give you my dining room table. The first thought is, where am I going to eat tonight? What's going to happen? What's going to happen if I don't have couches in my house? And people would say, well, that's crazy. Why would you give up those things that you have? Well, I know that at some point I'll get another table. I know at some point I'll get other couches. But loving differently reaches people in a different way. We see Jesus uh, reaching out and loving that person who is considered the absolute lowest of the low. Tax collectors were worse than the enemy. And so Jesus reaches out and loves them. It would have been very easy to heal another sick person or reach out to fishermen who were leaving nothing behind or very little behind. But Jesus reaches out to a person who's pretty wealthy, very well off, and very unliked by all of society. Those, that, that person that, that's the worst of the worst. Why would you invest any time in that person? And that's who we see Jesus pursuing in this story. He's going after, he's loving in a way that is so different and so radical, so above and beyond that it has to take notice. That the Pharisees have to be peeking in the windows and looking in and seeing what's going on. Why in the world would he be sitting around with not only Levi, a tax collector, but the Bible says other tax collectors, a whole group of tax collectors? That's, he, he's conspiring with the enemy. It's the absolute worst that he could do. But they knew the love of Jesus was so great that they, they, had, to follow, they had to follow after them. The, the third point, uh, the love of Jesus is bigger than we can even comprehend. So it's bigger than we know. And I know that that sounds trite and we've heard that our entire lives. But as we think about uh, the, the personal relationship of loving those people that were on the edges and... Um, unlovable by the rest of society. And, and, and how much uh, here in 2019 in New Braunfels and in, in this area, we are surrounded 
even within this property, we are surrounded by those people that are difficult to love. The ones who are weird, the ones that are tough to talk to. I know because when I see them, I run the other direction. I am speaking to myself as much as I am to anybody else. The homeless person, the person that just can't stop talking, can't stop talking. You can't get a word in edgewise. I go the other direction. And I know that that it may sound silly or funny, but those are the ones that, that Jesus was pursuing. The ones that were unlovable by other people are the ones that he was pursuing. Um, so we, we have this, this picture, we have these points, and we have the, the context uh, of the different people. So the, the, the next thing I want you to do is to think about where am I at in this story? So what character am I? This is uh, an old uh, English class exercise that I've always loved doing. When I read a story in the Bible and I think of all the characters that are there, where am I in there? Well, I can tell you first and foremost, don't worry, I'm not Jesus. And neither are you. So we can leave that one on the table. Then we get into the other three main character groups. And so the first one are the Pharisees. And we have a touch of that, without a doubt. One of the things that we love to do as Christians uh, within the modern church is we love to tell people how they're wrong or what they're doing wrong, as opposed to loving them into uh, the grace of Christ. But I don't think that that, uh, the Pharisees in this context is where we find ourselves. The next group, I think, is the group that most people identify with, and that's the rest of everybody, right? The sinners, the tax collectors, the people following after Jesus and his disciples, the unnamed crowd, the extras, the people in the background that are, that are just there to add uh, context to the entire story. I think that's where most of us would identify we read this story and, and it's like we're viewing it from, from the context of those people who are watching uh, from the sidelines, right? We're seeing this whole thing almost like it's happening on TV as we read it on the pages. And, and we're trying to glean, what does this mean for me and how can I apply this to my own life? But I'm here to challenge you this morning that you're none of those three groups. You're Levi and so am I. Jesus didn't come in to to do these things that they would happen on TV in front of you, that it would be this story that that you would see and have it just pass by and have it just be this thing that happens to somebody else and and it doesn't happen to you. And, okay, that's great that that happened to them. I'm going to take the name of Jesus and go forward. We find ourselves in the position that we side with the enemy. We find ourselves in the position where we, we love our things or our jobs or even our kids above God. And so I challenge you that we are not, uh, we are not standers by, we are not just witnesses to what is happening, but we are Levi, we are called. Jesus is standing in front of our booth and saying, follow me. That's where, that's where I think that, that why this story is in there and why this story is, is so uh, important that we read that it was repeated inside the Bible three times. It was repeated in there three times. And so one of the, the important things, I've used the name of Levi this entire time, and I told you the story at the beginning about the, uh, the local nationals on the military installations. Levi is not Levi, so if you, if you read the Bible and you read the story of Levi, he changes his name. And he is no longer Levi. As we get further into the story, he's Matthew. 
Levi becomes Matthew, and he becomes this person who takes what uh, Jesus has given to him, and he writes it down, and he shares his story, and it becomes the book of Matthew. He gets a book of the Bible named after him. This is the worst of the worst, the, en- the, the man who sides with the enemies, worse than the enemy, and he gets a name of the Bible named, or a book of the Bible named after him. Levi is Matthew. There's this transformation that happens at Follow Me. It's not a dinner, and then the Pharisees get talked to about, you know, healing. Uh, I, I came for sinners, not for the righteous. He came for Levi, not for everybody else within this story. He came to call uh, the worst of the worst that they would be risen up and that that love would be multiplied. Not that it would end right there at the table and the words to the Pharisees and, and, and people would take that to heart and that would be the life-changing thing. It's this ongoing thing. Matthew goes on uh, to write this book that has blessed people for 2,000 years, that has continued to tell the story in the gospel of Jesus and move the gospel forward, all because Jesus stopped at the booth and said, follow me. And so Jesus is stopping at our booth and calling us. And what is our legacy from there? How has he called us into our life that his love may be multiplied through us? Um, I've had the, the privilege this week of uh, watching my oldest daughter graduate high school. Sorry, Bethany, you knew you were going to come out of this unscathed. Uh, we've had a bunch of family come into town and we watched her walk across the stage and we had a great party for her on Friday. Um, and she's headed off to college station in the fall. Yeah, I knew somebody was going to whoop. Um, <laughs> she, she's headed off to Texas A&M, uh, in the fall. And so, uh, through this time, one of the things that has really hit me over the last few weeks, um, as, as I've taken notice and I think, you know, I just have a couple months before, you know, Bethany is leaving our doors and she's moving on and, and going on to, to uh, take the keys to her own life, <laughs> go on and, and, and live her life. Uh, I've really started to notice those things around the house and those things within our family where Bethany fits in, where Bethany actually excels um, and she, we gave her a car, so she drives her brother and sister all over South Texas for us. Um, she uh, does a lot of cleaning and a lot of things uh, around our house that really f- fill a need for our family. She, and, and without ever having to be told, the love from her springs forward, and it's noticeable. Um, when she was 15, a couple years ago, uh, she decided that she wanted to work over the summer. Mom and dad did not say you need to go out and get a job and start earning money, but she wanted to, she wanted to do this. She's always had a heart to serve other people, um, and, and help other people. And so through this, her younger brother, when he turned 15 said, I want to work and I want to contribute. And this is what I want to do. And so um, her example I have seen multiplied, not only to her little brother and sister, but also to, to my wife and I. When we see how she loves us so well, our whole family so well, it's multiplied. That love of Jesus is embedded. It's infectious. And it then becomes multiplied over and over and over again. Um, it's this contagious love. It's a contagious love that demands a response. You cannot be met with love like this 
with somebody sacrificing themselves, giving of themselves, without it demanding a response. And our response will be the Pharisees, where we criticize and say, you're doing it wrong, or this is not how it was meant to be done. Do we respond like the masses, where we just continue to follow after, um, taking notice, taking Jesus' words to heart, continuing to come to church every week? Or do we take our response and we leave our booth? Do we leave our booth? Do we leave that world behind us as we think about those people that enter into their jobs and they don't speak that language anymore and they don't go by that name anymore just as Levi left his name behind and became Matthew because a new person was born that day. A new person was born into that grace of Jesus. And so Jesus is standing before your booth saying, follow me. Follow me. Let's go forward. Let's multiply this love within everything that we do. Let it not stop here. Let it not be here this morning that you would take these words within this sermon during this Sunday morning here at King's Community, but that it would continue on to your lunch this afternoon into your work week next on Monday and on for 2,000 years. Not that you would have a book of the Bible named after you, but that your legacy would live on, that that contagious love of Jesus would be multiplied over and over and over again. And it all starts with the response to follow me. How do we respond? <laughs> Lead the way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity uh, this morning to come into your presence and to worship you. Lord, we recognize you for who you are, uh, a great and wonderful God who loves us so well, who has met us where we are at in our lives. Uh, Lord, you take us from uh, the worst set of circumstances, from the worst places, and you lift us up. You love us. You forgive us. You call us, Lord. We just uh, pray this morning that you would uh, help us to respond, that you would help us to go forward, to to love other people, to help other people, uh, to, to give of ourselves in the way that you have given to us. Lord, uh, we want to follow you in all of your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.